Hello, everybody. What a great chat that was with Phil Mackey. He is, I can tell you, as great of a as great of a radio um, personality as he is, he is even a better human being. Um, prayers go out to him, and and uh, let's let's hope that he doesn't actually die on the way up there because I don't think uh, I don't think anybody wants to I don't think anybody wants to hear just Judd on the radio and Dave Harrigan for four hours. I don't think uh, I don't think really anybody could could deal with that. But moving on. So we've had I've done I've had three guests on over the course of the last hour and a half. My final guest is going to be Tom Gamboa. He has a new book called My Life in Baseball. He talks about being in the game and one night in Chicago um that actually ended up kind of being really scary and made Tom famous for um for not for not the right reasons. So I am pleased to bring on former Kansas City Royals first base coach and baseball lifer, and now I can say published author, Tom Gamboa. <laughs> Tom, hey, how are you hey, doing Dylan. today? Hey, Dylan, how are you? And I, I had to laugh because as Tony Muser, Tony Muser and I worked together in five different organizations, and, of course, he was the manager at Kansas City, when I was the first base coach, and when Tony found out that I had a book published, he said, Gamby, you're the only guy on the planet that has written a book that's never read one. <laughs> and, and, and that's not too far from the truth. But it's, it's, it's good to be on your show, and uh, I enjoy talking to you, Devlin. Well, I appreciate you giving me a half an hour of your time. I did. So uh, you just got done with a golf tournament. How'd you do? Oh, Devlin, I got to be honest. I lost on the last hole. It was a, it was a match oh. play tournament. Match play tournament with our rival. And I live in Palm Springs, California, and uh, I I played good today. I didn't make any putts, but I got to be honest. The guy the guy beat me fair and square, but it went right down to the 18th hole. And he was a good guy. We had a good time and shared a beer together. And I bowed out to come in here and and uh, spend some time on your show. Well, I. I greatly appreciate it. I I appreciate it more than you know. So you have been a manager in the minor leagues as high as AAA with Toledo in the International League and Albuquerque in the PCL. You've also been a major league um, first base, third base, and bullpen coach for both the Cubs and the Royals. But in September of 2016, uh, something kind of cool happened. You were you were a bench coach for Israel for the World Baseball Classic. Can you talk about that? Oh, I'll tell you, that, you know, it, that was a, it was kind of a coup de grace uh, to my career just by, by happenstance that um, this World Baseball Classic, as, as fans know, uh, Major League Baseball kind of uh, took a page from the World Cup soccer in an effort to expand baseball literally worldwide that are made two developing countries to promote baseball in their various countries. And Team Israel, Jerry Weinstein, has been a personal and a baseball friend of mine for over 40 years. He was the manager of Team Israel, and uh, the players had to be uh, of descent of whatever country that they played for. But the coaching sure. staff did not 
have to be. But in Israel's case, they had an all-Jewish coaching staff. But unfortunately, the bench coach's mother-in-law went into hospice, and on short notice, they needed somebody. Jerry made a push for me. Peter Kurtz, the president of Israel Baseball, said, get him here. And lo and behold, we, we beat Brazil, Great Britain, and Pakistan to qualify for the first time in Israel's history to get into the World Baseball Classic. And last February, I got a chance to go to two countries I'd never been to, uh, South Korea, which we won the pool there, and then we advanced to Japan. And unfortunately, we got beat, but we came within one win of going to Dodger Stadium and getting a chance to play in the U.S. So it was a big thrill for me personally. Great way to end my career in front of 57,000 diehard fans at the Tokyo Dome. And it was uh, thrilling to be a part of Team Israel and see players play their heart out for the country of Israel. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's go back a while. You were you were drafted out of Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California, as a first baseman by the Orioles, but you decided to attend uh, UCSB, and you and I have one thing in common. We have a degree in history, um, and you got a full scholarship there. You played primarily center field, but a little bit of first base for the Gauchos for three years. Boy. However, you were Big West conference honors in 1969 and 1970. Yeah, well, you've done your your homework. I think the the most famous gaucho of recent days is uh, uh, Jim Jim Rome. He always talks about being a gaucho. um, Sure. When I I went to Santa Barbara in the fall of 66, they were actually in what was called the CIBA, California Intercollegiate Baseball Association, with USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, and and to be honest, Santa Barbara was tired of finishing in the basement, and they got an endowment to upgrade their sports program, and my best friend and I um, both were given full scholarships, and uh, so we got a chance to room together, play together, and be a part of uh, the, the baseball growth of UCSB. I was real proud a couple of years ago when the Gauchos, for the first time in their history, made it to Omaha to the final eight of the College World Series. So that was a thrill. Absolutely, absolutely. So in the 80s, you spent quite a bit of time in the Milwaukee Brewers organization, well, I guess from 78 to 82. Um, in 84, you, man- you were manager of the Beloit Brewers, which was their Class A Midwest team. You won manager of the year. You won the division. In 85, you managed Stockton Ports, which was their Class A California League to a North Division Championship. What do you remember about those two about those two years winning a division? Oh, those were fun years, uh, Devlin. I was I was fortunate that when I managed in Beloit in '84, he had a big first baseman named Joey Meyer from the University of Hawaii. That uh, baseball fans will remember Big Steve Falboni, who used to play for. Uh, the, 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 the Yankees, the, the, the Kansas City Royals. Um, yep. Joey Meyer weighed like 280 pounds, but he was very athletic. He, he won the Triple Crown, and God knows he didn't get any infield yet, so the batting, batting title was legit. And uh, we had a great team. We started off bad in the cold weather, but that, that club won 67 of its last 100. And we won the pennant by about 14 games. And the next year, I took most of those guys with me to the Cal League 
which was a high class A league, and we we battled Mark McGuire and Walt Weiss, who were playing for the Oakland A's Farm Club at Modesto all year long. We were fortunate enough to beat them in the playoffs, but Will Clark and a Fresno San Francisco Giants team ended up beating us for the championship. But those were those were two real fun years. Absolutely, absolutely. So, nine, 1986, you you move into the Detroit Tigers organization. You were manager of the Bristol Tigers in the Appalachian League. In 87, you managed the Glen Falls Tigers, which was at that time their double-A team in the Eastern League. And then you were the minor league field coordinator, 87 through 90. Can you can you kind of talk about what those 80 Tigers teams were like? I mean, obviously everybody knows the 84 Tigers team, but um, did you did you have a lot of talent coming up on those teams that produced in the major leagues? Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun fun era for me personally because Bill LaJoy was one of the last of the old school diehard baseball guys. You know, we're in an era now uh, since. Theo Epstein's success at Boston and at Chicago that as people, as baseball fans know, most of the general managers now are coming out of Harvard and Dartmouth and Ivy League schools, but Joy was a grassroots, diehard baseball guy that managed in the low minors, scouted for years and years. It it was a real privilege that he reached out to hire me uh, and bring me into the Tiger system and a, a chance to work with Sparky Anderson uh, because the Tigers were great in those years. And uh, those were the Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Jack Boris, Kirk Gibson years. And it was fun to, to be a part of that action in spring training. And uh, so in, my, in the, my personal years, the guys that, that I managed, Chris Hoyles was probably my favorite player from tenure at Detroit. Fortunately, I traded him for Fred Lynn. Fred was near the end of his career, but helped the Tigers to win a division championship. Hoyles went on to Baltimore where for the whole decade of the 90s, averaged close to 30 home runs, drove in 90 runs a year. I would have loved to have yep. seen him doing that in Detroit. But but uh, I also had a left-handed pitcher named Scotty Aldred that made it in the big leagues with the Tigers. Milt Tyler played several years of center field with Detroit. And our number one pick, a catcher named Phil Clark, uh, struggled on the defensive end, but he could really hit. And both him and his brother Gerald spent some time in the big leagues. So those were those were those were fun years, my times with the Tigers. And of course, I idolized Sparky Anderson and the Big Red Machine when I was a, a youngster growing up. But getting a chance to work with Sparky hand in hand at Detroit uh, toward the end of his career that was uh, that was fun, and I learned a lot from him. Absolutely, absolutely. So after after moving on from the Tigers organization, you were the director of minor league instruction for the Padres from 91 through 94, and then you were the minor league field coordinator from 95 to 98. What do you remember about that? Well, the the uh, I, I loved working for the Padres because I'm born and raised in Southern California, and it was nice to be kind of close to home during the Padre years. But when the team got sold and our – our uh, my boss ended up Ed Lynch became the general manager of the Cubs. It was a tough call, but I'm glad I went with uh, with the Cubs because uh, working in Chicago, I, I got to say, was the the best job that I had in my 44 years in baseball. When uh, 
uh, being the field coordinator, you're like you're kind of like a principal. We the Cubs had six farm teams. I was in charge of all six of them, hiring the the managers and coaching staffs of the six clubs. Um, the coordinator kind of determines what's going to be taught, how it's going to be taught, what the attitude's going to be like, what the discipline's going to be like. So there's a lot of responsibility, and of course the 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 real feather in our cap during my years as field coordinator was we signed a youngster out of Crockett, Texas named Terry Wood, who went on to become a nationally famous guy. And it, it's too bad, but for Absolutely. an arm injury, Terry would have had a, a, a an incredible career. But what he did in 98, lead us into the playoffs, was really something. And getting a chance, as I mentioned in my book, firsthand to see him strike out 20 against the Houston Astros when they had a great team and the four killer Bs, Bagwell, Biggio, uh, Barry, and Derek Bell, striking out 20 of the 27 outs. Uh, That that was the second best game that I saw in my whole lifetime. Yeah, and Lance Berkman, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, and so so in 2000, you managed the Dodgers – Triple uh, A team in the PCL, the Albuquerque Dukes. You won the division. And 2005, you managed the Arkansas Travelers of the Double A Texas League for the Angels. What do you remember about those two those two teams? Well, those were, you know, were all fun years, Devlin. And the the '05 team in '05, the the Angels hired me to manage their Double A team. And at the last day of spring training, Mike Sosha took me out to to dinner and I said I said Sos I know you've already won a World Series me your best years are still to come because that year in Arkansas uh, Nick Napoli led the league in home runs and RBIs he was my catcher he went on to not only have a good career with the Angels but once he got traded whether he went to Texas or Boston or Cleveland every club that Napoli went to they ended up going to the World Series. And, and uh, he, he, along with Ken Caminiti, were two of the best clubhouse guys that I ever saw. That regardless of white, black, Latin, everybody gathered right. uh, to Napoli. He was a leader among men, and everybody loved him. His leadership skills were terrific. And I had Henry Morales, who's still playing for the Toronto Blue Jays, a switch-hitting yep. power guy, was our first baseman. Howie Kendrick, who I thought was going to be like Bill Madlock and win batting championships, has a career average over 290. He was my second baseman. Eric Ibar, who's had a long, long, illustrious big league career, was my shortstop. And three of my five starters starters were Jared Weaver, Irvin Santana, and Joe Saunders. So we pretty much knew before we broke spring training we were going to have a winning team. And all those guys went on to play with the Angels afterwards. And have a lot of success with them, too. Yeah, absolutely. So 2011, you ended up uh, managing the Inland Empire 66ers, although you did have to uh, retire halfway through due to uh, your mom having um, advanced cancer. But 2011 was actually a, a kind of a decent year for you. When I introduced you, I should have said, I should have said. In addition to author, I should have said movie star, because I completely <laughs> forgot 
that you played Scout Martinez in the movie Moneyball. Can you talk about that? That's one of my favorite baseball movies. Yeah, well, you know, it, it was a terrific movie, and, uh, and not because I was in it, because if you blink, you'd miss me, but one of my former players, Chad Kruder, Chad Kruder caught, I believe, Brian's 5,000 strikeout and one of his no-hitters in Texas. But Chad had an extensive career uh, with several big league teams as a backup, but in my yep. tenure in Puerto Rico, Ch- Chad had caught for, caught for me a couple different years, and he had just been fired as the baseball coach at USC when that movie was being filmed. And Bennett Miller, an Oscar-winning director but from Australia, by his own admission, Bennett knew nothing about baseball. So he hired Chad to be a technical advisor so that they would get the baseball parts right. And, right. and when they got here, the scene where they needed the so-called super scout of the Mets, they had not hired the parts. And Chad said, I have an ex-manager that is is, uh, is retired now that uh, we could get. And that's how I got on the movie. Bennett Miller liked me, and I ended up, uh, I actually had one, one scene where my face was the only thing on camera, and I had my infamous line watching Billy Bean in high school take batting practice where I told the area scout, I said, this son of a bitch will be drafted in the first round. And that, that's my... That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of my movie career, Devlin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. There, you know, they could make a sequel to it, and then hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So well, after, I'm glad I still get. I'm glad I still get residual checks from it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So after that, 2012, you were uh, California Winter League in Palm Springs. You were the field coordinator. 2014 and 2015, you went to the East Coast, and you were manager of the Brooklyn Cyclones of the New York Penn League, which is an affiliate of the Mets, and you managed them in 2016 as well. What what can you tell me about the Brooklyn Cyclones? Well, I'll tell you, I'll be forever indebted to Paul DePodesta, Paul was a vice president with the Padres when I was the field coordinator there and later became general manager of the Dodgers. And by 2014, he was a vice president of player development for the New York Mets. After turning Paul down twice, because I was happy in retirement, I had spent 41 years in the game. I was playing a lot of tournament golf, enjoying my kids and grandkids. But Paul called me back a third time and talked me into managing the Brooklyn Cyclones because he wanted he wanted somebody that was a teacher and somebody that had been from the rookie leagues to the big leagues to kind of mentor over the young players. And, uh, you know, my career, Devlin, in, in the minor leagues, I seemed to always manage in ballparks that had antiquated stadiums. And then we would win a pennant. <laughs> And then after I left, they would build these state-of-the-art ballparks. Well, for once, when I came to the Mets in 2014, a Metropolitan Credit Union ballpark, which is on the grounds of the famous Coney Island Amusement Park on the yep. boardwalk, yep. it's a state-of-the-art facility, AstroTurf, uh, 9,000 seats, uh, averaging almost seven bull in the park at night because of the proximity the City Field, the Mets, and the diehard Brooklyn Dodger fans from Ebbets Field days, they all congregate there. 
and I had a blast. And I told Paul it would probably only be for a year, and I liked it so much, uh, mentoring over the kids and the younger coaches, and I did it for three seasons, and I had a, had a fabulous time. I'll be indebted to Paul I'll forever on that. And for those people who don't know, uh, we, t- we just touched on the movie Moneyball. The Jonah Hill character is loosely based on Paul D. Podesta. So there's a little piece of trivia Correct. for everybody as well. Um, Tom, sure. let's, uh, you've, got, you've got a book out called My Life in Baseball. The foreword was written by a uh, former major leaguer and ESPN uh, broadcaster Doug Glanville. But what I... I I'd like to talk about a particular event. Um, tell me about what happened September 19, 2002. Well, that's etched in my memory bank, Devlin. And I don't mind talking about it because I, I certainly didn't do anything wrong. I was just doing my job. But we were in, at that time, it was called Comiskey Park. Now it's U.S. Cellular Field in, in Chicago. And uh, the game meant nothing because the White Sox and us, meaning the Royals, were out of the pennant race. It was a cold September night. There was there there wasn't many people there, but in the ninth inning, two guys that had had too much to drink and by their own admission, in court had taken drugs. And we all know what mixing alcohol and drugs does. Over the little three foot railing behind the first base dugout, and in the middle of the ninth inning of the game, they literally attacked me from behind. And as I asked in court, why me? And the answer was, once we got on the field, you were the closest person to us. Your back was turned, so you were an easy target to get the attention that we were looking for because they wanted to get on TV. And, you know, my, my unfortunate luck, I was bent over with my hands on my knees at the time, as I often did between pitches. So when they hit me, my head torpedoed into the ground, and I, I permanently lost a, a portion of the hearing in my right ear. Thank God it has not gotten worse over the years, uh, but it is what it is. I have this, this thing called tinnitus that doesn't hurt, but it's a nuisance. And um, the game was nationally televised, So, and I think because it was sports and violence combined, it seems like between Fox Sports and ESPN it was shown a thousand times on TV, and I became somewhat infamous for something that I did not do, but I was a, a, a party to. Actually, it is what it is, and I answered all the questions of the press. And like with you right now, I don't mind talking about it because like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. But I, as I told the press at the time, I guess I'm the new Cato Caleb. This is my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, did the- if I remember that correctly, didn't didn't they have didn't they have some kind of weapon or something? Wasn't it like a small pocket knife or something? Or oh yeah, uh, yeah. One of one of them had a a uh, folding uh, three or four inch pocket knife knife, and you know the 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 FBI and the police, the fact that they found it on the field, their fear was that there w- that there was an intent to use it, but they might have been so much out of it that they. Thank God that they did, because I happened to be sure. watching the tennis tournament as a fan when Monica Sellis was attacked Monica and stabbed Sellis. on a tennis yep. court, and thank God yeah. that, that that did not happen to me. Yeah. So was was the was the permanent hearing loss? Was that the only 
um, I guess, quote-unquote injury that you suffered that night, or was there some emotional or some mental stuff after that? No, the, you know, my, my parents raised me, Devil, and uh, I try to see the humor in everything. I I had a team once that lost nine games in a row. That was my longest losing streak of my magic career. And I remember calling a clubhouse meeting, and I said, fellas, I said, believe it or not, at some point the sun is going to shine and the, and the worm's going to turn here. I like to think that if I was the captain of the Titanic, I would have told all the passengers that don't panic, we're just stopping for ice when they hit that iceberg. You know, I try to, I try to just put some levity on things. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the tinnitus, like I say, it's a nuisance, but it, it's not any. And other than that, the only thing that I suffered is that when our, when our, when our players from the first base dugout came out to jump on them, I was at the bottom of that pile. And uh, my face got compressed into the ground so bad that my face the right side of my face swole up to twice its normal size, and that's why I wanted to get me out of the field and get an ice pack on it to reduce the swelling. Sure. Yeah, I remember that vividly, and it was it, it was a horrible incident, and I'm glad that uh, Major League Baseball has since beefed up security. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that, uh, obviously, you were okay. But that's just one chapter in... Tom Gamboa, My Life in Baseball. He and David Russell uh, co-wrote it, the autobiography. The sports columnist Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post describes it as a fun read, and Lloyd Carroll of the New York Sports Day describes it as a fascinating look at a baseball professional who has spent most of his life beating the bushes of baseball's minor leagues. And as I mentioned, the book's forward is written by um, former baseball, former major leaguer and ESPN analyst Doug Glanville. Um, we got about a minute and a half left, Tom. What, what do you want to, what do you want to let fans know about the book? Uh, obviously, you know, you can buy the book on Amazon, but anything else you'd like to let them know about it? Oh, I can just tell you that for me personally, when when the when David Russell, the writer, contacted Glamville to write a foreword, uh, when I read it, it actually made me cry because all my years in baseball, I never realized the influence as a coach that I had over the people that I was coaching until I read the three or four page foreword that Glamville wrote and the way, what he felt about me playing for me not only with the Cubs but for for two pennant-winning years down in Puerto Rico in the wintertime. And uh, that that made quite an impression on me. But I think, you know, as I used to have an agent in baseball, he told me I was one of the few people in the game that had managed pennant winners at every level except the big leagues. I had clubs that won at rookie league, OA, high A, double A, triple A, seven of my ten years in Latin America in winter ball. And I scouted for 10 years. So I think a baseball fan will, uh, will enjoy stories from a no-name guy that had a lengthy career in virtually every aspect of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, Tom, where can, uh, where can fans get the book at? It's Tom Gamboa, My Life in Baseball. Where can they purchase the book? Uh, well, it's on, most, most people are buying it on Amazon.com. And I'm told okay. it's also at Barnes and Noble and Target.com is what I've been told. But but I know most of my kids and the millennials they tell me that they're getting a. a to be honest, I didn't know what Amazon was. I'm 
I'm kind of an old school <laughs> guy, but I'm well aware of it now. And I guess I guess sure. they shipped the book within two days. But like I say, I think it's it's a fun read, and David did a good job of writing it because my kids and grandkids tell me that it sounds like me talking. But uh, I talked into a tape recorder. David Russell did a terrific job writing it. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think that's a great way to close. Tom, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on my podcast and giving me a half an hour of your time and and, and sharing some of your your baseball memories with me. I, I I thank you so much, and I hope we can do it again someday soon. And I'm gonna I'm gonna send that copy of your book out to you, and, it, and I'd appreciate it if you'd sign it for me. Oh, for sure I would. Devlin, I I enjoy our interaction on the messenger on the computer and I've had a great time with you this these 30 minutes and I, I hope baseball fans have enjoyed uh, to you and I share some stories. Thanks again. Thanks again, Tom. Appreciate it. All right, okay. everybody. That was Tom Gamboa. He is a former he is a former Major League Baseball coach. He is also an author and as you can tell, he is a actor as well. Tom Gamboa. His book is avail his book, My Life in Baseball, is available Target dot com, Amazon dot com, and Barnes and Noble session Barnes and Noble bookstores near you. Go out and pick it up. I've already got my copy ordered. He's a great guy. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next week.